Right, Alan was flying solo. But he wasn't that low. Amen. Remember those, those former days when it was just a few of us. <laughs> Amen. I can get used to that again. Amen. No, I couldn't. So all those who are not present up here with the band and the singers, don't get comfortable. Okay? Don't get comfortable. Um, praise God um, that we are able to sing whether we have a full accompaniment or not. It does sound awfully good when the full accompaniment is here. Amen? Amen. So, Lord willing, Brother Bono, y'all will be back, right? Or maybe we'll be back. No? No. <laughs> well, good morning to you. If you are visiting here at East Point Church, let me say welcome to you. So glad to have you this morning. Praise God that God has brought you to fellowship here with East Point Church. We pray that you've been encouraged in some way. Uh, if there's anything that we could do for you, do not hesitate to ask. It is our desire to serve you in any way that we possibly can. And you've come on a, a good Sunday, not only because you get to hear the congregation singing uh, at its best, but you've come as we begin a new series, a new series of messages from the book of Joshua. These series of messages uh, will be entitled More Than Conquerors. Here at East Point Church, it is our practice to go through books of the Bible and uh, study those books in context and seek to understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church today as he led God's people in the past as these uh, inspired words were given. Now, this morning... Normally, we would have someone come up prior to the preaching, and they would read a passage of Scripture, and we would examine that passage of Scripture. But as is our practice here at East Point Church, when we begin a new series of messages, we try to do an introductory message, and that is just to give an overall theme um, of what we're going to be covering over the next several months as we look at a particular section of the Bible. And so this morning, we're just going to give a general overview of the book of Joshua. And I, what we want to do is just pick up on some things that uh, we're going to be coming back to again and again and again as we go through this historical and most important book in the Bible. I think the Lord has something um, good in store for us as we study this book, this portion of God's Word. And I pray, I pray that as you attend to these messages, that your heart would be warmed and that your heart would be encouraged and, and challenged uh, to worship God, to know Jesus, and to love him all the more. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we begin this journey through the book of Joshua. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you have been so gracious to us once again that you have called us to this place and allowed us to know who you are and to do that for which we have been created. And that is to worship and honor and adore you. Lord, we are not worthy, but you are. And we do pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts would indeed be acceptable in your sight. 
For you are our strength. You are our redeemer. You are our Lord. Come now by your spirit. Open our eyes that we would see Jesus. Open our ears that we would hear Jesus. And open our hearts that we would receive Christ again this morning. Spirit and truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how much time do we have left? This may take a little while. I remember when I was um, in junior high, I was in the band. I was in junior high band, and I played the saxophone. And I was pretty good at it. I practiced it at home, and my mother brought me this nice brand new saxophone. Unfortunately, I don't have it today, but that's, that's another story. Uh, but I played that saxophone, and I played that saxophone every day. And I remember even to this day, to this day, I could probably still play Mary Had a Little Lamb on that saxophone. <laughs> that was the first song I learned. I was pretty good, but I could only make it to second chair. My friend, Joey, was always in the first chair. And whenever we would have trials, I would do my best, but I could not make it past Joey in the first chair. Someone has said that it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle and to play it well. In some people's estimates, Joshua played the second chair. In some people's estimates, Joshua played a second fiddle. You see, Moses was a figure whose shadow loomed large over the nation of Israel. Moses was a larger-than-life figure. And it's, he cast this huge shadow that continues today to even loom over the history of the world. But beloved, I want to suggest something to you this morning. That in God's economy, there are no second fiddles. In God's economy, there are no second chairs. If God calls you to his service, that is a primary calling. That is a primary purpose. And though people would think that Joshua played second fiddle, no, beloved. Joshua was primary in the purposes of God. We know the place that Genesis through Deuteronomy have in the history of the, of the scriptures and in redemptive history. They are the books of the law. They are the books of Moses. But rarely, I think, rarely do we consider the significance of the book of Joshua. And the fact of the matter is, beloved, Joshua is very important as a book because Joshua is that link. Joshua is the link between Israel's redemption and Israel's full inheritance. 
Joshua is that link. For through Moses, Israel was no longer slaves, but through Joshua, Israel became a nation. This is important. This is important to understand, beloved. With Moses, they were free, but they were still wandering in the desert. They were still nomads, living in tents. Through Joshua, they entered into the promised land, and they settled into their own homes. This is important for us to remember because it teaches us, and this is what we'll be coming back to again and again, it teaches us that life under Joshua's leadership pointed to Christ just as much as did life under Moses. Joshua points us to Jesus. He's a type of Christ. This is an interesting point to make because Joshua is never mentioned in the New Testament as being a type of Christ. And yet, as you study Joshua, as you read through Joshua and try to understand the pictures that are being portrayed in the life of Joshua, it is unmistakable how his life and leadership points us to the Messiah. His given name, the Bible tells us, was Hosea. Hosea, which means salvation. But in Numbers, chapter 13 and verse 16, the Bible says that on the eve of Moses sending Joshua and the other spies into the promised land to spy out the land, Moses named him Jehoshua, which we have shortened to Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. And this is important, beloved. This is a truth that now would mark out Joshua's life. He would be a consistent reminder to the people of God that it is God who delivers, that it is God who redeems, that it is God who saves, as would be the name of Jesus. We get to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 as the angel is coming to Joseph to comfort Joseph that Mary is expecting a child. An angel says to Joseph, Joseph, fear not, for Mary shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Joshua. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. His name means Jehovah saves. Jesus saves, beloved. Jesus is our Joshua, and thus, from his name, we see 
that all victories have been won. And so Joshua will point us again and again to Jesus. Again and again. And in this, beloved, in this, then Joshua is just like Joseph. Joshua is just like David. Joshua is just like Moses. Just like Moses. Moses pictured Christ as Savior. Joshua will picture Christ as sanctifier. Moses is Christ leading us out of bondage to sin. Joshua is Christ leading us into living victoriously over sin. Moses is Christ identifying us, identifying with us as brothers and sisters. Joshua is Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, where he is leading many sons and, and daughters to glory. Moses is Christ leading us out of hell. Joshua is Christ leading us into heaven, beloved. Moses is Christ taking us from the foreign lands of this world. Jo Joshua is Christ leading us into the promised land. So when Joshua, it's all about the land. Not Cleveland. The promised land. It's all about the land. In which the Lord, our God, is bringing us into. It's all about the land. And so we see that's how the outline of, of Joshua goes. It's rather simple, beloved. There's only really three parts. It breaks down into three parts and three sections. The first section is the securing of the land that we see in chapters 1 through 12. The second section is the dividing of the land we see in chapters 13 through 21. And the third section is living in the land, living faithfully in the land, chapters 22 through 24. God will lead them in the securing of the land, crossing over Jordan, getting the assistance of the Rahab, and going to take Jericho, going to take Ai, securing the land that God had promised. And once they had secured the land, then Joshua would lead them in dividing up the land, that each would have their portions in the land, that each tribe and all the peoples would find themselves securely established in the land of promise. And then before he dies, Joshua would... would lead them in understanding how God wanted them to live faithfully in the land that he had given them. The land, this promised land, this land had been promised by God to Abraham. It had been promised by God to Isaac. It had been promised by God to Jacob. And now, under the leadership of Joshua, the children of Israel were going to walk into the promises of God. They were going to walk into the land that God had promised them. There's just one small caveat. This is what we'll understand if you didn't understand it before. And perhaps over the next few months, you will understand it better.
And that is, beloved, though God had promised them the land, but like most and many of the promises of God, the land would not be secured without a fight. The land would not be secured without a fight. And this, this is the theme of Joshua. This is the theme of our series. The land is ours. The promises of God are ours. But you still have to fight. You could argue that the history of the world is the history of war. According to a recent article in the New York Times, the author suggested that the world has known peace for only 8% of human existence. 8% of the time has there been peace in the world. 92% of the time, there has been war. And the history of the world could be written as a history of, the, of war. Each age of human existence has been marked out by warfare. And this is particularly true of the United States, is it not? Our nation, our nation, the United States, was founded by war, a revolutionary war. Our nation has been defined by war, in particular, the Civil War. Someone has rightly said, before the Civil War, people would say the United States are, plural. After the Civil War, people say the United States is. And even though it's grammatically incorrect, that war defined who the United States is. From the revolution to the civil to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the history of America is a history of warfare. But so too was the history of Israel. The history of Israel is a history of war whether it was under Moses, Joshua, the judges, David, Jehoshaphat, and the list goes on and on and on. God's people have found themselves having to do battle. And here's the interesting thing, beloved. The call to do battle has not changed. For even when we come to the New Testament, even in the New Testament, God's people are still called on to fight. Now, obviously, obviously, the Bible reminds us that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, that our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't fight with earthly weapons. Nevertheless, our battles are just as real. Our battles are just as significant, in fact, even more so. 
And consequently, the history of any Christian man, the history of any Christian woman is a history of warfare. It is a history of battles won and battles lost. If you talk to any saint who's been walking with the Lord for any length of time and you say, tell me about your life, if they start telling you how they have lived the life of faith, they're going to tell you about the battles. That defines us in this world. God's people are called on to fight. History of battles won, history of battles lost, all for the glory of God. This is why, this is why the Apostle Paul gets to the end of his life. He declared, right, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I've been battling, brothers and sisters. I might borrow from the song. Must Jesus fight the fight alone and all the world go free? No, beloved. There is a fight. For everyone. And there is a fight for me. There was a fight for Joseph. There was a fight for David. There was a fight for Moses. Beloved, there was a fight for Joshua. And all the children of Israel, as they entered into promised land. And there's a fight for you this morning. There's a fight. And the Bible calls it the good fight. The good fight. Now, beloved, what is the good fight? I believe that the book of Joshua will teach us that. The book of Joshua, over these next several months, is going to instruct us in what the good fight is and how we fight the good fight, how we finish the race, how we keep the faith. We will discover the good fight is the fight of faith. And as it was for Joshua and the nation of Israel, so it is for us today. And what is that fight? Well, I got three points I want to share with you concerning that fight this morning, and we're done. Okay? Just three, and we are finished. The good fight, as we will see from Joshua, is the fight sanctioned by God. The good fight is the fight supplied by God. The good fight 
is the fight secured by God. Okay? What is the good fight? It is the fight that is sanctioned by God. The one sanctioned by God. Now, for those of you who follow boxing, and perhaps most of you don't, but in boxing they have these sanctioning bodies or these governing bodies. You know, the WBA, the WBO, the IBF, and so on, on, so on, on. And what these organizations do, these organizations, they sanction the fight. Okay? They determine who gets to fight who and who gets to fight where. Everybody just not out there picking who they're going to fight and then go on the street and fight. Okay? These sanctioning governing organizations determine when these fights take place. They sanction the fights. The good fight, beloved, is the fight that is sanctioned or determined by God to take place. You don't just go out there fighting willy-nilly. You ain't out there just fighting whatever you want to fight. Whenever you want to fight. It is the one that God determines, that God sanctions. It was God who called Joshua to fight. Joshua. God called him. The land promised by God was occupied. When God brings them to the promised land, there are people living in the promised land. There are people standing in the way of God's people inheriting God's promises. promise was clear, but it needed to be cleared out. There were enemies standing in the way of God's blessings to his people. And so God called Joshua to fight for him. And whatever battles you see, beloved, in the book of Joshua, always understand that they were not Joshua's own doing. Joshua was called on God, by God, to lead the people into war. And you see this, you see this over and over again in, in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2. It was God who called Joshua to go against Jericho. God told him to go against Jericho. In chapter 8 and verse 1, it was God who called Joshua to go against Ai. Now, the interesting thing is, beloved, the interesting thing is, is that God didn't tell them to wait on the enemy to attack. Okay? But God told Israel to attack the enemy. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 10. And this is what the Lord said to Joshua, which Joshua then repeated to the people. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. God has called on you to fight the Canaanites, to fight the Hittites, the Hivites, wherever you find them. 
the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, wherever you find them, God says, attack them. This is a fight that God establishes. But beloved, God has called us to fight too. He's called us to fight too. The promises of God are often clear. The promises of God are often right in front of us. But that doesn't mean that you and I do not have to fight for them. You have to fight for them. And God calls us to fight. But to fight those fights sanctioned by him. He calls us to godly, Christ-glorifying battles. He calls us, beloved, to fight. To fight against pride. He calls us to fight wherever we see it. Selfishness and self-righteousness. He calls on us to fight against injustice and sin. He calls on us to fight against the world, against the flesh, and against the devil. These are fights that the Lord is sanctioning. These are fights that he says, whenever you see these fights, whenever you see these enemies in your life rising up in the land that I've promised you in your heart, you attack. These are fights sanctioned by God. God isn't sanctioning other fights. He isn't sanctioning that fight with your wife. He didn't sanction that fight with your husband. I was reminded of that of this this week. When I got into a little squirmish with one of my children, with one of my daughters, and afterwards, the Spirit of the Lord reminded me, I didn't sanction that one, son. He didn't call you to fight with your children. He didn't call you to fight your parents. He didn't call you, he didn't sanction that fight with your siblings. In fact, beloved, he hasn't called us to fight amongst each other here. He didn't sanction that fight with that other believer. He didn't sanction that fight with that brother or that sister in Christ. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul tells them, you tell you and Syntyche to be getting along. Stop all that fighting. God isn't sanctioning that. But whatever, wherever you see, wherever you see the Jebusites, wherever you see the Hittites, Wherever you see the Girgashites rising up in your heart, rising up in your home, then you ought to do battle with them. Now, 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 I know some of you might say, well, I married a Jebusite. I married a Hittite. Well, Joshua going to help you with that too, okay? There's a way to battle that one as well. But beloved, 
understand that the Christian life is a battle. And anyone who doesn't think it is, is either not living it or they've already been defeated. It is a battle. And that's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, right? To put on the whole full armor of God. You don't put on the full armor of God unless you're about to go to war. And listen, 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 beloved, listen. The devil, the world, and the flesh, they are not interested in your in you having joy. And that's why you have to fight for it. The devil, the world, the flesh is not interested in your righteousness. That's why you have to fight for it. How do you fight? How do you fight that good fight? Well, you got to attack sin. You just got to attack it. When it raises up its head in your heart, in your home, you just got to attack it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, you, you be angry but sin not. And then it says, don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. In other words, don't go to bed. You fight it. You fight it that night. You don't let it get any foothold. You attack that Jebusite. It's standing in the way of the promises of God and the joy of your home. You attack it. It's in the land. It's standing in the way of you walking in the promises of God. Don't you go sleep on it. God said, get up and fight. And root it out. You attack sin. And I just don't just attack sin, but when you attack sin, then you keep moving. You keep moving. Don't you wallow in the guilt of the past. Don't do it, beloved. Don't do it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, this one thing I do. I don't consider myself to have to attain all things, but I know one thing. I know one thing. I'm not wallowing in the past. I'm forgetting those things that are former, and I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. That's how you fight, beloved. You don't allow the devil or anybody else to hold you captive to sins that the Lord has forgiven. If it's covered in the blood, you move on. That's how you fight. That's how you fight. You attack it. You don't wallow in the guilt of it. And then... You keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 reminds us, right? Keep looking. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That's how you do it. You keep looking to Jesus. And if you look into Jesus then you keep looking to the joy. And through it all, and through it all, that victory is going to become clear because of the cross. You just keep looking. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
attack it, keep moving, and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're going to learn. We're going to unpack all that, beloved. This is a fight. This is a fight sanctioned by God. It's not just a fight sanctioned by God, though, but it's also a fight supplied by God. God supplies what you need. How was, think about this, think about this. How was Joseph supposed to lead this ragtag nation of Israel to conquer these well-fortified cities and these well-trained and established armies? Israel was no match for Jericho. Israel was no match for Ai. How would they do this? We will see. It was not in their own strength. It was not in their own cunning. But it would be through them trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying. And Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. God says to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Every place, every place, whenever you, wherever you step your foot, Joshua, in the promised land, it is already yours. As soon as you step your foot in it, that was yours. Take another step. That was yours. Every place that you step your foot in this land, I've given to you. Now go take it. You know what Augustine said? Augustine, St. Augustine said, Lord, command whatever you will, but just make sure you grant what you command. Lord, I'm going to take the land, but just may I, because you have said it, I'm going to take it, but make sure I can get it. If you want me to take it, just assure me that I can have it. And this is where the trust and this is where the obedience comes in, beloved. For taking the promised land would not be a walk in the park. If they were going to be successful, they would have to learn what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, right in verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. They must learn to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight where the trust comes in. They were going to have to obey him. There would be no, these huge great miracles that they, that they experienced under Moses. No, instead, Joshua and the people of God would have to obey the plans of God. Joshua and the people of God would have to obey the word of God. Joshua and Israel would have to draw the sword. When God brought them out of Egypt, they didn't draw a sword, beloved.
when they were going into the promised land. Joshua and Israel now, they were going to have to draw the sword. They were going to have to draw the sword. The Lord going to direct the fight. And this is how the Christian life of faith is lived, beloved. This is how the fight of faith is won. The Lord is going to direct the fight. But you're going to have to draw the sword. Now, I... My daughter, one of my daughters this week um, was able to secure a job. And praise God. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But you know, jobs don't normally come knocking on your door. You got to go knock on some doors. You got to go ask. You got to go seeking. You have to knock on some doors. That's why the Bible says, right? Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And I tell you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, knock, knock. And it will be open to you. You know what I find? You know what I find? People want to grow in Christ. They want to grow in grace. But then they make all the excuses in the world for not doing those things. That grow you in Christ. That grow you in grace. They want to grow up in Christ, then they make excuses for not being at church. They want to grow up in grace, but they make excuses for not coming to Bible study. They want to grow up in Christ, but they make excuses for not being in prayer. God has promised you joy. God has promised you victory. But you still got to knock. The Lord says, the door will be open to you, but you have to knock. Not fine, beloved. There's just too many of us who are not interested in knocking. You want to find, but you're not willing to seek. You got to knock. And beloved, do you know that if you knock, the Lord has already said, that door is coming open. You got to get up. You got to get up. You got to go. And you got to knock. You got to knock on it, beloved. God has promised you joy. He has promised you victory, but you still have to go and fight for it. It's called the promised land. And yet, Israel still had to fight, and so do we. This is the way that the Christian life works, beloved. This is the way that the life of faith works. God supplies all that we need, and then we have to walk in faith and trust and obedience so that we realize the fullness of all that God has promised to us. That's what he says, right? That's what the Bible says in Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 
12 and, and 13, that you ought to work out your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is that you are God working that thing out. The Bible says you are working out what God has worked in. God has worked in all the promises that he's given to you. Now you and I have to go work them out through trusting him and obeying him. Every day we find that he has already supplied everything necessary for us to live the life of faithfulness and godliness in this world. Just got to be willing to go and knock. Got to be willing to seek. Got to be willing to ask. The good fight is the fight that is sanctioned by God. The good fight is the fight that is supplied by God. And lastly, the good fight is the fight that is secured by God. It is secured by God promised Israel the land. Do you get that? God promised Israel the land. What does that mean? That means, beloved, that the land is theirs. Okay? That's what that means. It means that there would be ups. It means that there would be downs. It means that there would be battles won and there would be battles lost. But it means that in the end, victory was guaranteed. Victory was guaranteed. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, right? Again, every place, God says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you just as I promised Moses. Done deal. Promised. No, you're not walking in it right now. No, you haven't set foot on every acre and every yard of that place, but don't worry, I've already promised it. Done deal. Joshua gets to the end life. Chapter 23, verse 14. Where he says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Joshua begins with a promise made. Joshua concludes with a promise kept. That's our life, beloved. That's us. That's us as we will see, beloved. Listen, 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 listen. I've got good news. Okay, I've got good news. And the good news is this, beloved. God doesn't lose. God doesn't lose. God made his people Many promises 
But you know the most important one of all that he made to them? The most important promise that God ever gave to his people is the promise where he says, I am with you. I promise that wherever you go, I will be there. Why is that so important? Why is that so important, beloved? Because God doesn't lose. I don't think think y'all get that. I want to explain what that means, okay? God doesn't lose. What does that mean? That means, beloved, that God doesn't back a loser. God isn't backing a loser. When God is on your side, you will win. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what it might look like at any time during the season. You may lose a game here. You may lose a game there. You may even go on a losing streak. But if God is on your side, you're going to win the Super Bowl. That's what that means. You're going to win. Those in the land of Canaan, standing in the way of Israel, did not stand a chance, beloved. Because God had promised this land belonged to his people. They didn't stand a chance. And neither do the enemies of your soul. Don't stand a chance. You belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. And you're his. And he is with you. The enemies of your soul do not stand a chance. And that's why the Bible calls us more than conquerors. That's what that means. That's what that means. More than conquerors. And this is what Joshua reminds us over and over again. Joshua reminds us of what it means to be more than conquerors. The word in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 is hupernikomen. Hupernikomen. The root word is Nike. Nike means victory. Nike means conqueror. The compound word that the Bible used here is super Nike. You and I are super Nikes. Now, a lot of you go get these Nike shoes because you want to be like Mike. You know, because you think it's going to make you jump higher. Because you think it's going to make you run faster. But I got news, beloved. Christians don't need no shoes to remind them they can't lose. We are more than conquerors. Every conqueror, every conqueror in the history of the world, beloved, has gone into battle 
no matter how well prepared, with the thought and the possibility that if we don't do this just right, we might lose. But not those on the Lord's side, beloved. God don't lose. God don't lose. He's the guaranteed, the only beloved guaranteed win in this world. He's not losing. Jesus didn't come into this world to die on the cross to lose. He came into this world to die on the cross because God wins. God wins. And that's what Jesus said, beloved, in John chapter 18 and verse 9. He says, I have not lost a single one. Not a single one of those you have given to me. Beloved, there is nobody going to hell that Jesus intended to go to heaven. All, all those whom Jesus had come to save, guess what? They get saved. They get saved. He's not losing one, and, and, and they're not in his hand one day and out of his hand the next. No, but it means to be more than a conqueror, beloved. It means that you and I are guaranteed to win. And so the book of Joshua demonstrates what Romans 8 declares. What does Romans 8 declare? Well, in verse 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's Joshua and Israel. As they cross over Canaan into the promised land and they look at Jericho and they look at Ai, Joshua can turn around to them and say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Joshua demonstrates what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. God gave us Jesus. Will he not also with them freely give us all things? If God would come and give himself to us, what little thing is it for him to give us Jericho? What little thing is it for him to give us Ai? What little thing is it for him to give you joy? To give you victory over your sins? He has given you Jesus. How will he not with him also just throw in everything else? This is what it means. Romans 8 and 37. It's what it means to be more than conquerors. It means that your win is guaranteed. It means that your win is decreed. Question. Even before you read the book of Joshua again, question, who's going to win? Who's going to win, beloved? Joshua's going to win. And all those who follow in him Question, who's going to win? Jesus is going to win. And all those 
trusting in him. The only question that's left for you and I to ask is who are you following this morning? Who are you trusting this morning? Whose side are you on this morning? Jesus, like Joshua, is going to win. Because he, like Joshua, leads his people as more than conquerors into victory over all their enemies. Will you win this morning? You know what's a win, beloved? A win is just trusting. A win is just believing. A win is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. A win is confessing Christ with your mouth and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's a win. And all those who do that win. Oh, I pray that we don't have anything but winners in here this morning. That's all we got, are winners. Those who are believing and trusting in Jesus. A room, a church that's full of winners. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord. There are nothing but winners here this morning.